Hi, everybody, and welcome to a special episode of Live from Pawnee. I'm Alan, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Mark. Mark, how are you today? Well, hello, good sir, Alan. I am swell today. Oh, man, I'm sorry to hear that. That can be painful. No, 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 no. I, I didn't say I swell. I said I am swell, like I'm doing fine, you know? Oh, okay. Well, that, that makes sense. Sorry, I, I was a little confused. I was... Yeah, that, that happened. Just take your riddle and we can get through this. <laughs> All right, Mark. Well, now for something special. Live from Pawnee presents Pawnee Spotlight. That's right, Mark. Well, today we've got something very special. Mark and I are taking the week off this week and we're going to share with you, our loyal Live from Pawnee listeners, viewers, whatever we call ourselves today, <laughs> our exclusive special interview with actor Christopher Murray. Oh, my gosh. This is such a cool interview, Alan. I, I'm so excited to share this with our viewers. I'm going to pretend they're viewers. I, I think we should pretend they're viewers. I don't care what the recent study says. I'm sticking with that. Yeah. You know, our, our listeners are going to know Christopher Murray better as Nick Newport Sr. <clears throat> of Sweetums fame. That's true. And uh, we featured a small piece of that interview in our coverage of season two, episode 21, 94 meetings. That's right. Yeah. Right. But our but our interview with Christopher was really incredible. He's just such an interesting guy. And he's uh, he's a Hollywood lifer. And uh, he's got a very interesting story to tell. And uh, in fact, he told us quite a few stories. He, he did. He, he's one of those people who has such an interesting background and he has been there, done that, you know, sent the postcard. You know, he's worked <laughs> with the real who's who people, but he's so nice. And, you know, he, yeah. he 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 has no reason to have talked to us as long as he did. But he is just he, he's just so humble and so uh, he was uh, gracious, friendly, very gracious. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Gracious with his time. And, uh, you know, you could see. Even though he's had quite a bit of success in Hollywood, uh, he, he was just a really humble guy and a family guy. And uh, I, I don't know. I really enjoyed talking to him. Me too. All right. Well, well said, Mark. With no further ado, then we'll have our producer, you know, former intern, now producer, Constantine. Oh, he's fancy. I know. Uh, let's have him drop the needle on this record. All right. Let's do it. All right. All right, everybody. Here we go. Terrific special guest today. You know him as the iconic and semi catatonic, racist, elderly, chain smoking <laughs> grandfather of Little Scamps, Denver and Dakota, and the multimillionaire founder of Sweetums, Mr. Nick Newport Sr. Please welcome the very talented Christopher Murray. Well, thank you very much. And how do you do, everybody? How do you like that list of descriptors for Nick Newport Sr.? He's quite a he's quite a character. I think that is as perfect as any I've ever heard. And, uh, <laughs> probably as close to a description of my own personality as you could get. <laughs> yeah, you know, Christopher, looking at your bio, holy cow, your career reads like a, a who's who of Hollywood. I mean, here's here's just a few names. Uh, Sean Connery, Betty Davis, Angela Lansbury, Lawrence Fishburne, Denzel Washington, Julia Roberts, David Duchovny, Russell Crowe, Linda Hamilton, and the list goes on from there. We are honored and excited to have you here, sir. Well, it's a real pleasure. I can't tell you. It, it, um, yeah, I'm one of the lucky ones. That's all I can say. I had nothing to do with it other than being in the right place at the right time. <laughs> I know how that is. <laughs> uh, I oh, mean, yeah. if I was talented, I probably would have, you know, gone somewhere with it. But, you know, for a guy with, with uh, no talent, I did pretty well. 
You've done great. You've done great. Absolutely. Mark kind of mentioned it. I mean, you come from, I'd call it a showbiz legacy, right? I mean, parents, both accomplished award-winning actors, your, your step, your stepfather is Alan J. Pakula, right? Correct. Yes. I mean, I remember one of the first big Hollywood films I ever like, like, wow, this is amazing. Uh, was all the president's men still one of my favorites to this day. Yep. That so, was my ticket to the union card. Um, okay. But it was my summer job. I worked as uh, in the newsroom and I was what they call a photo news aide. You see me in the background, but I do have a close up. And when they're talking about what's known as the Canuck letter that uh, Ed Muskie uh, had written, I'm carrying a copy of Ed Muskie's picture to Redford's desk. And there's a close up of the picture as the camera tracks alongside it. So those are my thighs. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and that's all you can see because it's focusing on the picture. But it was it was a good job. It was a good summer job. You know, I, I can't complain. And yeah, close up is a close up. That's right. It is. And I was ready for that close up. <laughs> <laughs> well, and your grandparents even were in the business back in the Zigfield Folly days, right? Absolutely. Um, my mother's father was a conductor for Flo Zigfeld. My mother's mother ran away from a well-to-do St. Louis family to be an actress. Oh, wow. She was originally going to what was then called Carnegie Tech, which is now Carnegie Mellon. Yeah. Mm. And she bolted. She went to New York because in those days, you know, in the, the early 1900s, being an actor was the second oldest profession in the world <laughs> and not much different than the oldest profession in the world. And she auditioned for this conductor named John Lang, who was married at the time to, I think, an heir to the bird's eye frozen food uh, fortune. They got together and... Um, my mother was the third of four children. Wow. My father had more of a middle-class life. His, his dad, uh, Dennis Murray, strikingly handsome Irishman, had a beautiful Irish tenor voice, but he would freeze up in auditions and couldn't sing. So he became wow. a stage manager and a dance director. And his wife, my paternal grandmother was a Ziegfeld girl. Wow. Wow. And now my daughter has just graduated from NYU Tisch School of the Arts. So talk about a big gulp of the family Kool-Aid. I mean, she was, <laughs> I'm so proud of her. That's awesome. Yeah. The, that, that lucky streak continues. That's great. Fourth generation. Yes. Fourth generation. Yeah, I'm shocked you didn't go into banking or dentistry or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's funny because I was pre-med when I went to college. I went to a college in Minnesota called Carleton College. I always wanted to be an actor, but I was the first generation that could afford a college education. Um, my dad went to the American Academy, which isn't a degree program. My mother went to two years of Bard College. And um Yeah, I mean, I was determined to just, you know, get an education. And I was on an off-campus program in London uh, where we could go see plays. And it it was wonderful because I went to lunchtime theater, afternoon theater, you know, everything. And it was a really, really tough winter in London. 
and everybody else is going back to Minnesota in February for another eight months of winter. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to Paris. So I hitchhiked to Paris and then um, met a guy from Italy who was a mountain climber and he invited me to climb mountains. And I was there for a year and never went back to school. And when I came back, it was actually to say goodbye to my parents because I was going to move to Australia. Um, wow. I supported myself as a carpenter and they were rebuilding a city called Darwin. So I went to see my sister at Bennington and on the way stopped to see other family friends who were running a theater where they just happened to need a juvenile. And I happened to get the gig. And wow. that was that, you know, that, it, it was great. And then I studied with a guy named uh, Wynn Handman. And I was in class with Chris Cooper and Tom Wright and Hunt Block and uh, John Pankow and a lot of people, you know, he was he was something else. He was a great, great instructor. And um, yeah, I was hoping he'd still be around when my daughter came of age, but I think we've lost him by now. And, uh, did, did I read that you got into that program and that group of guys because Christopher Walken actually dropped out to do the deer hunter? Well, that, that's the thing. I, I was at the Berghoff studio and I was in Herbert Berghoff's class. Your scenes were so backed up that you could never work. And we had social connections with Wynn. Um, you know, I used to see him at the annual Christmas party. At It was actually the writer Buzzy Bissinger, uh, his parents' house. Uh, they would have a Christmas party, and Wynn was a regular at that, and so were we. And Buzz's mother, um, uh, Ellen, she said, oh, you should go talk to Wynn. I'll set you up with it. And I went and met him, and he said, well, you know, we got a, we got a, we got a waiting list of about six months, but we just lost this kid named Walken, and uh, – I'm kind of fascinated whether talent can be passed down through generations. So why don't you come to this class and then the other class and we'll see which group you fit into and I'll slide you in. And uh, about eight months later, I was talking to uh, Eleanor Bissinger was her name. And she said, when thinks you're an absolute genius. And I, that was the greatest compliment I've been ever been paid. Wow. That's awesome. And um, yeah, so I did kind of back into it. Um, but I guess there's only room for one superstar, Chris, from that class. That was Chris Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> He's done okay. <laughs> He's done okay. <laughs> but he deserved every accolade. That man is an incredible actor. Yeah, yeah. October Sky is one of my favorite films that he's in. So oh, it, it's yeah. I, it, he's a guy that, in my opinion, has never done anything wrong. I mean, it's just one of those things. Sorry about the hat, but I, I haven't had a haircut. Love it. COVID. I like it. <laughs> and I, you know, I do too because yeah, I was too young to be part of the hippie generation. So now I can be an aging hippie. There you go. I don't think I can pull it off. It looks good on you, though. Oh, well, thank you very much. Thank you. I was about to say a thing. I wish I could pull off that hat. Well, that's, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it gets, you know, it's like, I, I feel like in my apartment in LA, I feel like I've got a golden retriever hiding somewhere <laughs> and I can never find him because all, all week long, I'm sweeping up these blonde hairs from the, <laughs> where is that dog? Um, but at least I don't have to feed it. So that's funny. 
you know, Christopher, yeah. you, you've done such a, a wide variety of uh, both television and film work. Um, as an actor, do you have a preference? Do you have a favorite between them? I like uh, film. I prefer it because, A, you go to locations. And um, that's usually, for me, really interesting because I'm not usually one of the people that works every day. But then you have contacts that are working as production assistants and they tell you where to go. Um, when I was on Pelican Brief, I ended up touring the swamp for a day on a tour that tourists normally don't get. And um, and you get first class flights and things, you know, it's a little more plush. Sure. But most of the movies I did were in the 90s. And then when my daughter was born in 1999, I said, <laughs> it was the first time I ever really, really fell in love because I looked at her and I'll never forget that moment. And I, I didn't want to be away from her for more than a week at a time. So that's, you know, the decades after that were mostly um, episodic television and yeah. things like that. You know, sure. On location, but not like three months. Right. Dante Peak, I was on the payroll for eight months. And they could call me at any time and say, you know, you're coming up to Idaho, you're going there. But um, wow. You know, you, you and it was something like Just Cause, where it was a big film. I was part of the pre production uh, stuff, you know, the initial table read, the costume and wardrobe fittings. I, I went two weeks before we even started started shooting. And that was a lot of fun because you get to know the other actors and yeah. you, it really helps your performance when you can live your character for a while before you the cameras start rolling. Wow, right. And it does make a difference, yeah. Yeah, I've heard that that kind of version of filmmaking is maybe kind of gone away, right? They're not doing it that way. The setups aren't like that anymore. And it's kind of get it shot, get it done. It is. It is. I mean, if you're someone like, you know, an A-lister, above the line talent, you're going to have an opportunity to put on that 50 pounds of bulked up muscle or whatever the, you know, or to learn a specific dialect, they make that part, but the, the supporting characters, they're not going to do that with them. And so much of it is um, uh, streaming services now where the product is good, but they just don't have the amount of preparation that they did. And, you know, when we were shooting on film. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's a different medium. Now, you know, the digital yeah. video. Yeah. I mean, that, that guy that did um, the Florida project and the other one, I think it was called Tangerine, where he shot the entire thing on an iPhone and it looked brilliant. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, you know, you can, it's kind of nice in the sense that more people have an opportunity, I think, to get into that creative space. Um, yeah. But, yeah. you know, some of the, what was cool about, Slightly older Hollywood, I suppose, is, is you know, I think is, it's just kind of sad that it's, it won't be the same. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, you know, they still do it for the big things. Yeah. Let's you know, the, well, it's curious. I was going to say the Marvel movies, but, you know, that's all green screen. I know. And it's it, like it, it's so boring to look at. 
I mean, to work on because you're never, you know, you're never in the scene. I mean, the first Star Wars movie, they went to every one of those locations and everything else was a model. Right. And, you know, contrast to the last couple of ones, um, there's there's a marked difference. Yeah. Um, I like being there. I mean, even Dante's Peak, I I was in the helicopter a lot and we went to Idaho. We went over Washington. We flew everywhere. And then some of it was done on the lot at Paramount and some of it was done. Some of it, the, the scene where we crashed the helicopter was actually done in a place called uh, Vasquez Rocks in um, it's a little bit north of Los Angeles. And that is where. Captain Kirk has the famous fight with the Gorm. <laughs> really? You know, the lizard. The liz- oh, yeah. Captain no, we know, unfortunately. Oh, we're, yeah. we're both a little on the nerdy side. So, <laughs> well, so, so you know about the, the, the Finnegan then. The, the other famous fight he has with, with Finnegan. They wrote an episode of Zoe 101 for me where I had a fight with Seamus Finnegan, the groundskeeper of Pacific Coast Academy. And it was my favorite episode because it was just so much fun. And they did that. They almost did it punch for punch. That's great. That's awesome. You know, I think our listeners are obviously going to recognize you, you know, as Nick Newport Sr. But how else do you get recognized these days? It's mostly from Zoe 101, because when you think about it, I I haven't changed that much since those days other than my hair, <laughs> and, you know, this stuff. But I, I look the same. And I again, I I just chose the right parents. That's pure genetics. It's not <laughs> my lifestyle or, or so. But it's wonderful because I didn't know it had that kind of reach. And. You know, to be recognized in a place like Scotland or Italy, wow. just out of the blue, you know, 15 years after we shot the last episode. Yeah. Uh, That's amazing. I get, I get a real kick out of that. And I'm, I wish I had joined um, Instagram sooner because <laughs> it's just, you know, it's not about the followers. It's just I would have loved to have taken pictures with these people and said, yeah. look at look at." This is so-and-so that I met in, you know, York. And like I said, I'm one of the lucky ones. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a fine line because guys, guys like, just for example, Tom Cruise, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he can't even go have lunch without people just jumping all over him. Bothering him, yeah. Yeah. And people at that level. And I don't feel sorry for them because they could afford a hell of a disguise. <laughs> That's true. It, True. But I like it because, I, I, you know, people are very respectful when they come up. I, I, I know the look. And it's usually if it's a young person, um, the parent will come over and say, excuse me. Uh, and they're kind of uncomfortable. And I say, yes, I know what you're going to say. And <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I am. And yes, let's take a picture. And, well, and then, you know, as yeah. as Nick Newport Sr. On, on Parks, you know, they aged you quite a bit, you know, and so I, I bet some of the people don't recognize you because you don't look as old as the character you played. So it's kind of the opposite. That's a good point. You know, it's, it's funny because every once in a while, somebody will say, I know you from some... You were Nick Newport, but it, it, it's not from the second episode I did. It's from the early. 
full cigarette smoking uh, yeah. <laughs> PSA on uh, corn syrup. Yeah. Yep. Fat, happy, and docile, just how we like them. <laughs> Love it. Oh. But yeah, that that um, yeah, that the old one, the older character. I I feel really fortunate because it took four hours to do that makeup. Oh wow! If I had gotten in that chair and they said twenty minutes and you're good to go as an eighty year old, I'd have shot myself right then and there. So I'm glad it took. Took a good four hours to look. <laughs> well, Christopher, when they cast you as as Nick Newport Senior, um, did you know? Did they have an idea of of how they were going to use you long term? Like, did you know it was going to be more than one episode? I I, I really had no idea. Um, you know the um, the scene was uh, archival footage. I knew of the show, but I wasn't a big television watcher, and. I was the only actor that came in and I had a I had some kind of like piece of cardboard. It might have been an old um, uh, uh, subway ticket or something. So I quickly rolled it up into a tube and I did the audition like I was smoking. And they told me afterwards, you know, you're the only guy that did. that. <laughs> well, it said he's smoking and drinking. And I think I grabbed the water cup of water as I went in and, you know, so basically did the routine, but I had no idea they'd bring it back. And um, I'm really glad they did because that was, that was a lot of fun. That was a great show. What a beautifully talented cast that was. Yeah. Yeah. We've heard lots of really good things. You know, we've, we've had a few other interviews and everyone's been really complimentary of the writers and producers and the showrunners and the cast. And, you know, I, I mean, I know the second episode, you probably would have had more exposure. That first one, I mean, they could have shot that just you and you wouldn't have gotten to meet anyone. So did you get a chance to meet some people and get any memories from that, the, the combination of those two? Well, it's funny because the day I shot that scene in, um, in the Sweetums episode, I was the only cast member there on the call sheet. Oh, wow. At, it was at, it was at night at the soundstage and their other unit was doing that little um, Roomba. Remember the Roomba? Oh, yeah. the, DJ Roomba. Yeah. That was the scene they were shooting. And I think <laughs> there was like a couple of the the office people there, you know, people that we're familiar with, but uh, none of the other people were there. And it wasn't until the um, uh, the table read for 94 meetings that I got in to meet the other cast members. But yeah, that was, that was really great meeting those guys. I mean, I, that style, that sort of deadpan delivery is really difficult because I'm naturally animated, Mm -hmm. you know, and it it was a challenge to slow it down and play it like, I didn't really know what was going on. And um, we don't have to work at that. We, we usually don't know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> what can I say? I'm just a ham. <laughs> Better to give them too much than too little. And then they can, it's all easier to tone it down than to turn it up. <laughs> so what's a table read like with a group of people like that? You know, a lot of comedic talent. And, you know, I, I can only imagine that they have to work pretty hard to stay professional at times. 
Well, it's it's fun because it's usually I mean, it's their first time with the material because they're working on the other shows. So they try to set it up. So that's the everybody hears it for the first time. So you have the different department heads in there and you have the directors, the showrunners and everything. And it's sort of, you know, let's let's get to know each other. It's 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 kind of rare. If I have a small part in something, you know, if you're only reading one and two lines, they they love to invite you to the table read because they want to get you in there. But um, I I I don't usually go unless it's what they call top of the show when you're the guest star. But I I would have done a table read for one line. In, <laughs> You know, on that show, just to meet everybody behind the scene, because sure. by then I'd become real uh, admirer of theirs, and um, their their work was just such a so extraordinary and so funny. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, because that's the only way to do comedy is to do a totally deadpan. You do, and they just have it down. I, mean, I really miss that. Yeah, they were exceptional. Yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 brilliant filmmaking, brilliant art. Yeah, we need more of that. <laughs> we do. Um, I was going to tell you the the um, uh, they invited me back to do another episode in. Oh, really? At the hmm. end of 2010, the summer before that, I'd gone to Burning Man, which is that arts festival in Nevada, yeah. and. I've been a volunteer there for a couple of years. I'm actually one of their public safety volunteers. Oh, wow. And I had to leave the event early because I was giving my dad, I was supposed to give him a Lifetime Achievement Award at the Egyptian Theater. Oh, wow. That's and cool. I had worked the graveyard shift the day before, and I thought I got enough sleep, but I didn't. So I, I decided to take a nap at 60 miles an hour on a remote desert road no. and that oh. had a below average result because I, I rolled my car. Um, the guy who saw it, he was on his way to the event because he'd gone on a supply run to Reno and he happened to be an EMT and he happened to have a radio because there was no cell signal, but he said he lost count after five rolls. Oh my gosh. And, wow. Um, what saved my life other than him was the fact that I had a hard plastic table on edge right behind the driver's seat. So that kept the roof from completely wow. caving in. Wow. And what he did was he started, he tore up cardboard and uh, duct tape and tourniqueted my arm because my arm was completely shredded. Oh, what they call degloved. Um, but by the time I stopped rolling, he already had care flight on its way. So I was airborne within about 40 minutes. Wow. That's amazing. They were able to save my arm. They were able to save my life because I had no idea I was bleeding out because it wasn't like in the movies where it's going grief, squeeze, squeeze. Right, 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 right. It was just mangled. And wow. I'd, I'd recovered. That happened in, I got out of the hospital in on October 13th of that year. And then in November, I got a call, you know, to come back as uh, Nick Newport. And I said, yeah, fine, because I'm 80 years old. It doesn't matter that, you know, I'm in a wheelchair. And But my agent just didn't have the confidence that, that you know, that I could do it. And I, I was really shocked I, I, to find that they 
passed on it because I said, why did you do that? <laughs> you know what? But that's that's the way it works. I mean, sure. I was, you know, I was fine. I was lucid. I, so they they killed me off, and <laughs> I think I think yeah, they did. I don't know if it's official. I, I don't remember them ever saying it. I think we just all assumed it, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. yeah. But I noticed that they didn't they change the actor that played Nick Newport Jr. So Nick Newport Jr. kind of goes away and then they eventually introduce Bobby Newport. Oh, okay. Paul Rudd. That was Paul, Paul Rudd. Rudd. Yeah. yeah. Mr. Right. Marvel now. But um, yeah. So okay. I think. I think I saw him there um, when we were shooting uh, the second episode, 94 meetings. Okay. But I'm not sure. And, um, you know, I'm terrible. I, <laughs> I could walk, I could walk, unless I'd somebody like Denzel Washington, I could, I could walk right by an actor who is, <laughs> you know, fabulously famous and not have a clue who that was. My daughter and son are always going, oh, that's so-and-so. And I go, <laughs> you know if i worked with them it's different because you are uh, sure you, you feel them you know they're they're part of your soul they're part of your essence because you, you but yeah funny how that works having grown up <laughs> the people i grew up around were so famous but i didn't have a clue because they weren't in movies that i like right Right. Well, Christopher, it sounds like you had a great uh, experience with the with the cast of Parks and Rec. Um, you know, in, in a career with with a career with so many credits to your to your name and coming from such a deep entertainment background, um, has any experience with a TV show or a movie or other actors or actresses ever been able to surprise you along the way? Like, what's what stood out? You know, I I would have to say just cause because there was a moment. Um, I did a, you know, the scene in the Pelican Brief where, where um, the car blows Sam Shepard up. Um, they didn't even know what the dialogue would be. They had me try a couple of lines and I ended up doing it in ADR. And the line is, you know, I'm Sergeant Rupert, NOPD. You'll be safe in my car. Mm -hmm. That was the line that they liked. And the... Uh, the director of Just Cause, who had directed the Mambo Kings and he produced Gorillas in the Mist, he was doing this movie with Sean Connery and they needed somebody to play Lawrence Fishburne's partner. They didn't think the part would be big enough for some A-lister, but they, you know, they just, they didn't know, you know, he, he wasn't sure, but he wanted to hire the cinematographer from Pelican Brief. So he saw the movie and he saw that scene and he called me based on that scene. And he wow. said, you, you had a level of threat without being specific about it because everybody huh. thinks I'm trying to kill Julia Roberts. I'm trying to keep her alive. Right. I kill Stanley Tucci, uh -huh. <laughs> Julia, you know, and so I, a couple, you know, I met the director and he said, well, you know, we're not sure what we're going to do, but you'll be hearing from us. And, he said, you know, he said, this is no bull bleep. You'll be hearing from us. And I smiled and he said, why are you smiling? Because every time I hear this will be no bull bleep. It's bull bleep. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got I got um, 
there was a rumor that Sean Connery got sick. The movie was scrapped. So I went to play in a celebrity golf tournament in North Carolina. And it was uh, Mother's Day of that year. And this was the day before cell phones, unless you were really wealthy. So I get a message on my answering machine. Where are you? Why can't we get in touch with you? They want you in Florida like yesterday. So I flew directly to Florida and I went to the hotel, checked into my room and they said, okay, go directly to rehearsal. And I walk into this conference room. They had opened up the middle doors. It was a very big conference room. And in the middle was a table. And at the head of the table was Arnie Glimsher. Then Lawrence Fishburne, Sean Connery, Ed Harris, Kate Capshaw, Blair Underwood, and an empty chair. Wow. And that was my empty chair. And wow. I looked at that tableau and I said, I, I will remember this moment for the rest of my life because all of those people uh, are, you know, icons of the industry. Absolutely. And uh, especially Connery because Bond. Drake Bond. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, that was a lot of fun. I actually ended up playing golf with Connery. Really? Now, I know people, A-listers, I'm a 25 handicap and proud of it because it means I don't have time to play golf. Right. All the time, right. I, I have A-lister friends that have worked with Connery that are low handicappers. They never got invited, but he heard I came from a golf tournament. So he invited me out to play. That's, was, That's great. It was the worst six hours I'd ever had because I, <laughs> You know, I begged Ned Beatty to play with us because I thought, you know, maybe we've got a similar game. Right. And um, and so it was me and Sean Connery and the host, the club pro and Ned Beatty. So Connery gets up, hits the ball a mile down the middle of the fairway. Uh, the club pro another mile down the middle of the fairway, slight fade, you know, perfect position, beating three quarters of the mile, but straight as an arrow. And I smacked my shot into the golf cart. <laughs> and I said, I won the cart and won. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. But, but the thing is, I was the only person that Connery would talk to because everybody was either afraid of him or he was just making people miserable. Wow. Uh, and I, I'd worked in Scotland. I'd done shows in Edinburgh and I know how to deal with Scots. You insult them relentlessly <laughs> and they respect you. That's, That's great. great. You know, I'm riding in the, in the cart with my hero, the one and only. I, I look over at him and I say, where'd you learn how to play this game? <laughs> and he goes, Goldfinger. <laughs> I said, no kidding. You were in that. Oh, That's right. You were pussy galore. And he looked <laughs> but that was that was what it was like. And wow. You know, I know all of the line all of the taglines from his movies. So at one point, and he never <laughs> reacted to it because you know, James Bond was not, he was proud of it, but he, it wasn't something he thought about on the right. time. And I'm sweating over a putt. You know, my hands are off the leather on the metal because right. I'm I'm having the worst game imaginable. And he says, you certainly don't take long enough to putt. 
And I said, choose your witness, next witticism carefully, Mr. Bond. It might be your last. And that's from, that's from Goldfinger. Right. And he laughed and he said, that was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we get through this round and you have to understand this is before we started shooting. And it's a betting game for these people. I had no idea what the stakes were, but I'm imagining my per diem just disappearing. Yeah, right. Right, right. We get to the clubhouse, have a round, and came time to pay up. I was paired with the club pro. And Connery said, that wasn't a fair fight, was it? <laughs> and, you know, he let us off the hook. So I saw him in the restaurant the next morning at brunch. I knew his meals were being taken care of, but I went to the head waiter and I said, I want his check and I want to pay for his brunch and charge me for it. And I sent him a note saying, if you won't take my bet, at least take my brunch. And I see him open it and he smiles looking at it. And then the next morning he calls me up and he says, Murray, it's Sean. Go to the front desk. There's something there for you. Oh. And I thought, well, this is my ticket home. I suck at golf. They can replace me easily. And I, I go to the desk and he, uh, he said, yeah, it's right back here. He comes out. It's his club's custom made set of woods with his name on the band with a note that says, your game needs some work and these might help. Oh, wow. <laughs> and these are the sweetest metal woods. Wow. That That's ever, amazing. It, I, I, I was really impressed by that. And, wow. But, you know, and then when we started the film, again, I was the only person that he talked to. And um, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of a long-winded answer but no no that's I, fantastic i gotta tell you too christopher i watched the clip from that movie with you and sean where he comes out and you immediately confront him um i i don't know i he's a great actor but so are you i mean you're oh, just you in the scenery there i mean i i you're to me and this take this as a compliment you you're so good at playing whoever you're playing i totally forget who you are Oh, I really appreciate that. You know what I mean by that? Like, yeah. you are yeah. that person. And so yeah. you can switch from that to Zoe 101 to Nick Newport Sr. And you're great in all of them. So, yep. Well, that, that's a real compliment because the, the, the idea is to make it look like you're not working. Wow. You know, you look at Fred Astaire. Oh. It, it, he just defied gravity. Yeah. And... Poor Ginger had to do the same thing, only backwards. And then he, <laughs> and she was totally effortless as well. And that's the thing. But to me, it's not working. It is. It's, I always referred to it as the second best job in the world. The best job having been the job that Derek Jeter used to have, you know, being shortstop for the Yankees. That's right. the best job in the world. But, you know, if you make a living as an actor, you've got the second best job because, you know, most most people's jobs really, really stink. And they have to work two or three of them just to get by. How, how can I complain about right. anything? And I just love it. I mean, there was, there was a couple of other moments, you know. Um, uh, I, I told you my mother, I got her that job as Sean Connery's mother. I tried to get them to hire both my mom and dad, but they didn't want the movie to be 
about that. So they did hire my mother. And she she never really was thrilled with me being an actor because she thought I'd be a wonderful doctor, a wonderful anything else. And she was just worried about the caprices of the business. And I remember one day I'm over at the craft service table and I got my uh, my sunglasses on and my badge and my shoulder holster. And I just looked over at her and grinned. I said, how you doing, Miss Lang? And she just burst into tears and came oh. over and gave me a big hug and said, I'm so glad you did this. And that that was another really, really great moment. And I, I had that opportunity with my dad because I was understudying Cat on a Hot Tin Roof at the Mark Taper Forum in um, Los Angeles at the Music Center. Um, I, I didn't like the job because I thought the guy playing the part was missing the point of the character. So we got to the last understudy rehearsal and I invited my dad because he was offered the movie and he turned it down because he'd, he'd done a hat full of rain mm. where he played a junkie and he didn't want to play an alcoholic. So he turned it down. Paul Newman got the role and dad did bachelor mm. part. He happened to be there for that rehearsal. And I found that I was going on and I handed him a roll of quarters. I said, call everybody, you know, because this is going to be really special. Uh, Kirstie Alley was playing Maggie and um, Alice Ghostly was playing Big Mama. Pat Engel was playing Big Daddy. And I just smoked it. Uh, Dad said, even when you weren't talking, every eye was on you because every brick I'd ever seen was all about the bottle, the drink, the drink, the drink, the drink. I was all about Maggie and mm -hmm. I never took my eyes off her. And I, wow. you know, the irony of life that the one person that I loved most destroyed the other person I loved most. And Kirstie came to me at the end after the curtain call, tears streaming down her face. And she said, I, I never fell in love with Brick before tonight. How did you wow. do that? And I said, well, I, I read the play. <laughs> <laughs> And my dad asked me the same thing. He said, you didn't have any rehearsal. You didn't have anything. How did you? Die? I read the play. Wow. And then he did an interview in the Times, uh, about the LA Times a couple of weeks later. And he said, if he'd seen that performance, he wouldn't have turned it down. That he, that's when he understood that it wasn't a story about alcohol. Right. It was a story about love wow. and what happens. And so that was the moment we became colleagues, mm -hmm. you know, equals in the business. Because wow. he was a little worried about me. I mean, I wasn't, you know, I was kind of a clown when I lived in New York. And when it, it's easy to cover your rent in two shifts as a bartender <laughs> when it's 165 a month. Yeah. So you're walking around with a lot of pocket change. And this is the old New York, you know, the pre-1990s New York. Yeah. And so... I, I partied a lot and probably more than I should have, but um, I rose to the occasion when, when the time came and he was really proud of that. And wow. uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm, you know, that, that's another really, really fortunate thing to, to be suddenly an equal with a guy that you've admired all your life and whose work you just adore. Yeah. Um, 
Well, and getting to work with both your parents in, in different scenarios, that, that's terrific. I mean, you know, yeah. a lot of actors and actor families don't get that experience. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's true. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, how lucky can, can a guy be to, you know, know his parents both in a professional capacity and in a personal capacity? Yeah. Can't argue that. Yeah. Yeah, I hope you have the same relationship with people in your families because there's nothing like it. Um, I, for somebody who was late to the parent game, uh, my kids are just my life, my world. I get that. And sometimes you lose sight of that. Yeah. But it also makes you realize how much your parents really love you. Yeah. Yep. And, right. you know, uh, it breaks my heart that my mom's not around. But my dad was really happy to hear that Aaron graduated and stuff. And that's great. Um, yeah. Yeah. Again, you know, they I've had good luck and bad luck, but the good luck always wins. Yeah, that's true. That's awesome. Yeah. It's all about perspective anyway. So, yep. It, everything is about perspective. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. It really yeah. yeah. This last year and a half has really reminded me of that for sure. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Yeah. It was tough on so many people. Well, Christopher, thank you so much for your time today. It's been terrific talking to you. And uh, it, it was a real treat. And I'm so glad oh. that you came up with questions that interest me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, we're really happy. I, I, I know I, I, we enjoyed your story so much. It was just, it was, um, it was really a pleasure just to get some background into your life and your experiences. We really appreciate it. Oh, well, Mark Twain once said the hardest secret for a man to keep is his opinion of himself. <laughs> so I kind of figure I stray into that sometimes, but it's really not about me. It's the people I've been fortunate enough to be with. And yeah, that's awesome. Extraordinary. And my my favorite thing about being an actor is when I get in a chair and say, somebody says, Chris Murray, are you Don Murray's son? And I say, yes. And then they go on for 20 minutes praising him oh. and nobody has a bad word to say about it. That's what I want to be. Oh. Somebody remembers me. Uh, you know, I don't want to be the guy who's complaining about, oh, God, this polyester police uniform. Is too, can't you make this out of cashmere? <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be that guy. Everybody works so hard and actors have it so easy. And I'm, I'm, I, I, I never lose sight of that. Thank you so much, Christopher. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it, Mark. Thank you. You take right. care. I will, Alan, and thank you for being in touch. Absolutely. A lot of fun. Absolutely. Good night. Good yeah. night from Pawnee. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that Mark, that was fascinating. We were really lucky to have such a great discussion with Christopher, for sure. Oh, dude, I, I agree completely. He was a real gentleman and a complete pleasure to talk to. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And we've been blessed to have really good interviews on this show so far in general. Oh, man, completely agree. All right. Well, we'll be back next week with our very first episode of season three, which is 
episode one, Go Big or Go Home. And I'm really looking forward to getting into season three with you, Mark. Oh, my gosh. We are here, buddy. I can't wait. All right. Well, until next time, everyone, thanks for listening and uh, we'll see you soon. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Live from Pawnee is a copyrighted production of the creators. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Original music was created and performed by Aaron Emerson of Emerson Studios. Clips are used under fair use doctrine for the purpose of commentary and parody. Please see our website at livefrompawnee.com for more details or to contact us.